0: Outliers in Education is brought to you by CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Better data, better decisions, better schools. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org.
1: If you find yourself feeling a bit deflated and maybe even exhausted as yet another challenging year winds to a close, take heart. Today, we've got just the guest to help put the wind back in your sails. Climb aboard, kick off your shoes, put on some flip flops, maybe some sunscreen. Worry, educators, we're going to set sail on a journey of inspiration on today's episode of Outliers in Education. That's what we're all about, in letting our kids be successful.
2: If you want to achieve something, then surround yourself with the people you want to become.
1: Because kids are kids in
0: small districts, rural districts, urban. Kids are kids. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Eric Price, here with Eric Bowles from the Center for Educational Effectiveness. And we'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Outliers in Education. Now, I don't know about you, Bowles, but... This has been a tough year for educators and and they've had stressors coming from every angle. Have you seen the same thing out there? E.P.,
3: I will tell you, I was fortunate to retire in 2020 from public education. I think it was really tough leading into the COVID pandemic and where we're at right now, we've never seen the likes of it.
1: Well, thankfully today we've got just a person to kind of help recharge our batteries. A podcaster himself, but oh so much more, Randy Russell has been providing inspiration and guidance to educators for decades. He serves as superintendent of the Freeman School District in Washington State, a position he has held for nearly a decade. Celebrated speaker, author and coach, president of RLR Leadership and Consulting, Author of The Three Ships Relationships, Leadership, and Partnership. He sits on the WASA Board of Directors and has served as its president. And just some of his awards, WASA State Leadership Award, the ESD 101 Spirit of Leadership Award, University of Idaho's Award, and I love this one, the Grace Under Pressure Award from the Washington State Department of Health. Randy, I'm getting tired just to all the stuff you've done. I don't know how you can do all this and still be on the podcast, but we are so happy you're here. Welcome to the show, Randy.
2: Well, thank you, EP. Thank you, Bolsey. It's great to see you guys. And what an honor to be on the podcast with you. Thank you so much. So
1: getting right into uh, this kind of COVID cloud that we've gone through, um, as educators now are going to be closing up this year and then moving into next year, what are some things that they could be doing in the interim to kind of get prepped for this coming year?
2: Well, EP, I think it's really about just embracing the moment. You know, when we get to the end of the school year, you know, you've been through a full year of a lot going on. Uh, Both of you mentioned that this year has been especially difficult and challenging for educators. But I think just embracing the moment. There's a lot of great activities, a lot of celebrations, a lot of events, all the way from preschool up through our seniors. So it's just a reminder for all of us. Let's embrace the Senior High School Academic Awards. Let's embrace the end of the year band and choir concerts. Let's embrace the annual, you know, yearbook delivery and the barbecue that your high school students are able to be a part of or the elementary talent show that your kids signed up. Because I think that's what helps us kind of remind ourselves and remember why we're doing this. It's about students. It's about serving our kids. And a big part of it is, is I think we've forgotten how to celebrate. Hmm some of our students' successes. So I'm hoping that that is something all of us can focus in on for the last couple of weeks of the school year, and then really use that to kind of be a springboard into a great 22-23 school year. Following up
3: on that, Randy, I I never had the fortitude to be a school superintendent. I think it's incredible that people like you have the courage to, to work in that position. How on earth do you accomplish everything you accomplished beyond the superintendency?
2: Oh that's a great question Bolsey and and I think you just have to really understand your purpose you know your reason why you know that you're going to do something right it could be mowing your yard it could be going into work it could be you know helping a friend if you're really clear in your purpose uh and you stay focused on why you're in doing something and how it can help other people benefit Then that's what motivates me. And I love being a superintendent. You know, this is my 34th year in education, been able to wear all the hats. Thank you, EP, for the very kind introduction. Uh, and I'm as excited and as motivated today in my 34th year to really make a positive impact and influence kids, staff, families, you know, our Freeman community as I was back in my first year. And I think just having that clarity is so important. And when people lose their clarity as to what their passion is and kind of what their calling is, it's when you can kind of lose your way a little bit. And I, I love what Dr. Gene Sherritt says, you know, when you lose your why, you lose your way. And I think uh, it's a good reminder for all of us. Let's stay focused on our purpose. And that helps us give the clarity, you know, for where we're going and what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I don't sleep much at night. I think it's overrated. Uh I, I, I and I love to be busy. And uh as a couple of you know, uh, you know, we've we've had some challenges, you know, here in Freeman, and we've had some difficulties, as as does everybody, right? Everybody, unfortunately, if you're in education, you're gonna go through some difficult, you know, things. And part of balance and being a superintendent and doing these other things is my work through of the last five years and trying to, in some small way, give back because we have been given so much in terms of support in Freeman, not just for kids and staff, you know, our, our community, but for me personally, a lot of people have reached out and went out of their way to help support me navigate the last five years. So I just want to make, make sure I'm doing everything I can to help out and make as big of an impact as I can on as many people.
1: So, Randy, I'm going to ask you to kind of um, using those 34 years of experience. And one of the things in my career that I've tried to do is uh, talk to people that have been around longer and that know more. So, obviously, there's a no few- shortage of no shortage of that EP. <laughs> exactly, that's a big group. Thank you. Uh, and so, so when we take a look at what COVID has done and really mix some things up. Is there anything that maybe we needed to change in education? What's the silver lining in COVID that you see when you reflect back of where we could be going with this um, COVID kind of restart or reboot that's kind of pushed us?
2: Yeah, it, it's a great question, EP. And I think just like you have during your whole career, and same with you, Bolsey, you guys have always looked at things with the glass half full. And how can these challenges, these difficulties, even, even things, something like COVID, You know, how can you get better and improve? And as much as you didn't want to have COVID happen, what we did learn was that we can do things differently and we can do things better to serve kids. You know, you had to see it up front and and personally close up to see the teachers were stretched. Right. Teachers had to deliver instruction and assessment in a new way. They had to find a new way to connect with kids, especially for that time and uh, period when they weren't able to see kids every day in person. You know, students found new ways to be able to turn in assignments, work in groups. We found better ways to be able to meet and be more efficient in our meetings uh, through Zoom. And so I think there's a lot of silver linings, EP, that came out of this. And, And you would hope that the lessons that you've learned would keep you from going back to you know, what you did before, right? It it is a new opportunity. And I think we've taken advantage of that. And I think ultimately the staff has gotten better. And I think we're serving kids better. And people really, I think, have embraced being able to be with each other in person again Mm -hmm. without taking it for granted. That in itself is a silver lining to me.
3: So Randy, I'm the second best educator in my house, third best educator on this podcast. And one of the things that my wife has reflected on is that she said, as a result of having to do this, learning how to cast videos, being able to now go back in person, utilize video to kick off a lesson and provide individualized instruction to, to the Eric Bowles's and the Eric Prices of the world who, you know, may not have been focused otherwise. She said, I've never been a better instructor. When you think about that context, what are some of those key Take withs as we move forward that that you've noticed in educator practice.
2: Yeah, well, I think Bolsey, as you've said that about your own family, I, I'm hoping I'm fifth <laughs> out of six in terms of where I fall right within my own family. Having a wife as a teacher, our two oldest daughters as teacher, uh, and even uh, you know Riley, who's uh, going to be a freshman in high school, wanting to be a high school teacher. Um, we're going to have five out of the six of us in education. And what I've learned from a middle school student, a high school student, two adult educator children, and a wife who's a fantastic teacher, Bolsey, like your bride is, is that we have got to get it better. We, we have got to do a better job of serving kids and meeting kids where they're at. And I think we had to do that during COVID. We couldn't just cash in and bring up the simple lesson plan that I had from 13 years ago that I happened to do on day 13 of the second semester. So I I think the fact that teachers had to get more innovative, had to integrate technology into their lessons. I think that resources looked different. And I think even how students collaborated together, you know, it's ironic, you know, here we had COVID, a lot of students were learning from home, but in many communities, including Freeman, there were groups of students that were still getting together in person. Right. So a teacher's doing their lesson and here's EP and Eric Bowles. And the teacher thinks, well, Eric's at his house and EP's at his house. But really you two happen to be at the same kitchen table for that day in EP's family. And you happen to be at the Bowles' house the next day with three other kids. And I think it was an eye opener that we could do this different. So I think that's one example. I think another example is I think teachers had to really focus on what was important really talk about the standards, really talk about what I needed the kids to go uh, from that lesson with or from my class with. And there was no opportunity for frill or fluff, as I call it, because the time just didn't allow it. So I think as teachers went through that, they finally realized I can go deeper in my relationships, my connections, my content with kids. I don't have to cover every single piece of the textbook or, you know, whatever the curriculum it is, I need to really focus in on the important pieces because I'm not going to be able to see the student every day like I have in the past. And I think that's why teachers have gotten better. I think our teachers are better than they've ever been before because they've been forced to get out of their comfort zone.
3: Quick follow-up, Randy, wouldn't have expected uh, relationships in distance learning. What, what did you see that caused you to make that observation?
2: Yeah, what I saw was teachers going over, uh, bending over backwards, ballsy to help kids be successful. Um, you know, we we laugh a little bit about it, but, you know, teachers have always been on call, right? I mean, for as long as we've been in education. Teachers work at night, teachers work on the weekend. A lot of people outside of education think that teachers just have all this time off. You know, they're going to trainings over the summer. They're They're working to, you know, improve their craft. Teachers became 7-Eleven during COVID. They, they literally like your 7-Eleven convenience store. They were on <laughs> call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for that whole time. Because in order to meet the needs of kids and the way the schedule worked out, I might be connecting with EP at five o'clock on a Tuesday, even though I had them in my second period English class that day just to the na- because of the nature of uh, what we went through. And so that's where I just, boy, my hat, just goes off to educators. I'm more impressed with educators. And I'm talking bus drivers, classified staff, paraeducators. You know, our nutrition services department worked for four months making lunches and delivering lunches to families at their door to make it happen, not just during the rest of that school year, but even into the summer, just to make sure that the transition was there to support kids. So You know, you don't have to go very far to convince me that I I just I'm in awe and and just have a ton of respect for educators big time.
1: Thanks, Randy. All right, everyone, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So stick around for more with Randy Russell on outliers in education.
0: School districts across the country are turning their focus to social emotional learning like never before. But who has the time? Now you do, thanks to the Whole Educator Series, an online SEL training that you take at your own pace. Six modules packed with proven strategies that will make a difference right away.
3: The training was awesome. The content was amazing. This workshop is going to make you a better educator.
0: Taught by SEL expert Dr. Greg Benner, the Whole Educator Series delivers strategies to ease the stress on you while bringing out the best in your students. These strategies, they work. You'll be amazed at the results not only with the youth you serve,
3: but also in your own life. He's telling us strategies that we can implement
0: tomorrow. Absolutely a home run. Professional development at the speed of life. Check out the whole educator series online SEL training. Available now from CEE at effectiveness.org slash workshops. That's effectiveness.org slash workshops.
1: And welcome back to Outliers in Education. We're joined by the multifaceted superintendent, Randy Russell, from the Freeman School District. Randy, you served on the research advisory team with the Center for Educational Effectiveness as we worked on the Outlier study. And now that that study's complete, was there any findings that really resonated with you that really you thought, holy smokes, we've really got to pay attention to this?
2: I think a couple things jumped out, EP, for me. Besides making me become even more reflective about what we were doing in Freeman and how we needed to better serve our kids here was the fact that Freeman is just like every other district in the United States. We're ever changing. There's families that are moving in, there's families that are moving out. The demographics are changing. Even your socioeconomic status within a school district is in flux, right? Year to year, literally. I mean, and as soon as a new student moves in in October, You have a new team because you have a new player in that classroom or that building. And I think what it did for myself and many of us in the study was it was a great reminder that we need to be thinking further ahead of what those changes might look like. And how are we as leaders ensuring that there are resources and support to level the playing field for all kids? So, so in Freeman, Although our demographics, when you look at it from how many Caucasian students or, you know, black students or Latino, Latina, Latinx students, you know, um, even uh, some of our uh, smaller uh, percentage minority groups, you know, we're typically seen as a farm community in Freeman. And people look at Freeman and they think, well, geez, that's a bunch of white Caucasian students out there in Freeman. But what they don't understand is that we have many students who are not Caucasian in Freeman, but who have been adopted by white parents who live in Freeman. And as our demographic graphics are changing, EP, we must change. We must be better. So it was just great to see that part of it. And then the second part was, OK, who are those outlier districts that are just absolutely getting it done? And what can we learn from them? How do we connect with that school district that is really making it happen for students of color, right? Uh, Or students in that certain socioeconomic group. So it was a great opportunity to be involved on the practitioner side uh, as far as being a, a part of the study. And then it was great to be on the other side as a learner, And saying, okay, you guys, we can learn from a whole bunch of other people. Now let's bring it back to Freeman and let's apply it. And that's really what started our conversation about what does equity really look like in Freeman? And equity in Freeman may look like a little different than equity in federal way, but it's still about leveling the playing field for all kids. So it was an honor to be a part of it. And boy, I learned a lot. I'm still learning from it. Well,
3: Randy... As you're still learning from that, we also know you've written a couple of books, most notably The Three Ships. What, what has been your biggest takeaway, your biggest learning as you've become a published author?
2: Oh, wow, that you know, so much, right? I mean, we're all lifelong learners, and, uh, you know, I, I give a lot of credit back to some phenomenal teachers that I had, specifically uh, Mr. Pond, who was a high school uh, teacher for me in junior and senior English, and uh, Professor Wolfe who was one of my college professors. And what they shared with me back at a very young age was communication is one of the important keys to building a great relationship with people. There's two components, right? High levels of trust and high levels of communication. And I think being an author is you get a chance to tell your story about your experiences. And it's funny because the three ships really happened at Red Robin. (laughs) Like, literally, I'm there with Kyle Rydell and with uh, Brian Talbot, two really great friends, also colleagues and superintendents. I had just become the WASA president. I said, guys, we need to come up with something that's going to pull together all of these agencies that are here to serve kids in Washington. And at that time, they weren't really working that well together. The legislature was on its own page. You know, AWSP was over here. WASA was here. You know, you had the teachers group over here. Um, standards board. And so we had a conversation. And from a luncheon meeting at Red Robin, The Three Ships was born as an idea to pull state agencies together. And then Bolsey people started using it and sharing it. And then somebody said, well, why don't you write a book? And I said, well, nobody's going to want to read a book about The Three Ships. And by golly, they did. They wanted to read it. <laughs> and, and now we've used it for professional development and training. And it's it's become kind of a cool calling card of, of just a way to give back, another opportunity to help serve more people.
1: Well, moving in that same equity uh, neighborhood, you also do an annual Women in Leadership Conference, and the next which is coming up in October in Spokane. Can you tell us a little bit more about that particular conference and why that's important to you?
2: You bet, EP. Well, it, it's always been important for me to grow leaders. That, that's been a big part of my 34 years, whether I was a Head coach, bringing along assistant coaches to become head coaches, or as an administrator, bringing folks along to become principals. You know, I'm really honored that we've had uh, four superintendents come out of Freeman in the last eight years that I've been here as the superintendent. And, and it, go, it really goes back to the same conversation, EP, about making sure that there's a level playing field for kids. Well, having a wife as a teacher and having two daughters as a teacher and seeing that in the state of Washington, you can count the number of female superintendents on just a couple of hands out of 295 school districts, it went back to the mission of RLR Leadership Consulting, which is to serve and support as many people as possible. So I just started asking some female colleagues and friends of mine, what kind of training is available for women leaders? You know, what's out there that you guys... You know, like or enjoy. And there just hasn't been much offered. It's been kind of hit and miss. So literally on a plane ride from Spokane to Washington, DC, Dr. Michelle Price, who's the ESD superintendent in Wenatchee, and I had a conversation. I met up with a couple of other state national leaders in DC for a few days. And in four days, we brewed up this idea of a women's leadership conference. And so we're going to have our second one. The first one was very successful. I want to thank CEE—they're a sponsor for the Women's Leadership Conference. They're a great partner with RLR, great partner with you know the Freeman School District. And now we have Xandra Joe Galvan as one of our keynote speakers. She's a national leader. She's the state uh, CALSA president in California. Uh, she's on many AASA boards. We've got Katara Johnson, who's one of the leading. Uh, equity officers in the nation as another keynote speaker. And then Heidi Seip, who's our award winning superintendent of the year out of Oregon from Umatilla. So those three ladies, along with the women's leadership panel, is going to be what we're going to offer in October. And we're already getting people signed up. And the nice thing is it'll fill up, it'll sell out, and we'll have people that unfortunately won't be able to go because it'll it'll be sold out, but it's already filling up and it's four months away. So we're excited to have that in Spokane in October with some national experts sharing their very best strategies, skills, practices with other women leaders. And it's, a, it's, a, it's my part, I think, EP, for me to make sure I'm doing everything I can to help identify, grow, and develop uh, the next set of women leaders.
1: That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, thank you. So, Randy,
3: we know you're not done being superintendent in Freeman yet, but nobody can be a superintendent forever. Um, <laughs> as, as you hand those reins off, and we know you've got a ton of possibilities as far as what you might want to do next, what will be your most important legacy in Freeman?
2: Wow, Bullseye, when I saw that question, you know, I've been thinking about it literally for 24 hours, and, and I, I don't even know if I'm going to have a great answer for you, but I would ho- hope that what people would say is that Randy truly cared about me, like the students, the families, the staff, you know, our community. He was genuinely invested and really cared about me as a person, as an individual, uh, that they know that I'm always going to make decisions based on what's best for kids. And sometimes the adults don't like that, guys. Um, But we're going to make decisions based on on what's best for kids. And then I think the other part is, just that we have been able to navigate some pretty difficult challenges here uh, in Freeman and we've been able to make it through. You know, um, I remember back when we had the shooting uh, here, uh, the experts told us that by the end of the year, 50% of the staff would be gone. And uh, that didn't happen. Our staff hung in there until every last student graduated. Then we had some changes last year, which we needed, and it was very positive. Um, and, and I just made a commitment to also stay here and and to see that through. And, you know, there's certainly been other opportunities, Bolsey, to look other places, but I love Freeman. It's a part of who I am. I feel like there's a lot of fuel in the tank. And as long as they still want me to be here and I still jump out of bed every day to get here, you know, I'm going to stay here and just keep doing the best I can as, as long as I can. And if it gets to the point where, you know, I'm not here anymore. I retire. Hopefully will people people will say he was a great guy who really cared about me and he helped us through some tough stuff and we're better off because of it. That's my hope.
1: It's a great hope, Randy. And, and now we're getting to the wrap up part of the program when Bowles, he gets to exemplify all of those fantastic summarization skills. Bowles, What do you got for a wrap up for us?
3: Well, that was a lot and it was pretty wide ranging. So uh, at the risk of sounding incredibly eclectic here, I'm going to try to go from uh, start to finish best I can. So we really started with, you know, how do you wrap up a tough school year? Really, gosh, all school years are pretty tough when you get to the finish line of a school year. And I think, I think Randy just talking about embracing the moment. um, And it's easy to forget about You know, our why, why we're here, celebrating others and celebrating student success. And and when you can stay in those moments, uh, I I do think that's an incredibly energizing opportunity. Um, Loved everything Randy had to say about purpose and focus and clarity. Uh, We heard huge. We heard a huge theme of giving back um, over and over again. Then our conversation pivoted to COVID. And what we know is crisis is the most efficient path to innovation, even though it it hurts a bit at the time, um, oftentimes. Um, and I think there were some really interesting takeaways besides all of the uh, ed tech stuff that we might've expected we would have heard. Um, the idea that, Kids relied on educators in this sort of 7-Eleven environment, uh, like Randy shared that, that the opportunity for kids to deepen relationships with adults, uh, during COVID, even in that, uh, remote environment or in remote environment for, for part of the time was, was something I really didn't expect to hear, but uh, I think an incredible takeaway. Um, I hearken back to my last 115 days in education where uh, we were doing a lot of the same thing, and I think I think the heroic work of our classified staff, in particular, can't be understated. Um, I was thinking about my time in Pasco, where we're serving fourteen thousand lunches a day uh, through the summer, finding way finding freezer space to to make these incredible things happen, collaborating with agencies, um, bus drivers delivering food. Um, so the ability to innovate and pivot is, again, I think something that we can take away, and I don't think we can understate that uh, our educators were uh, absolutely heroes and and always have been, but particularly in the pivot. Um, and then finally, we really moved on to uh, legacy. Love what Randy had to say about the book. Uh, that uh, you know, communication and trust are the two most important things. I also learned that Randy must do his best work at Red Robin on plane rides and he never sleeps. <laughs> so I want to make sure that we got that in there. And I, I think I think the conclusion, the legacy of caring deeply for people and helping uh, a community navigate what we know was an incredibly intense challenge Unfortunately, continues to be an incredibly intense challenge in, in the United States was uh, an absolutely beautiful way to conclude, Randy. Well,
2: thank yeah,
1: you. Yeah, and I just think, Randy, I, I so appreciate your heart for people that I think just comes clear, just, just super clear to me. Um, and it gets back to relationship. And I think in, in a time of, uh, political polarization that I think can affect our educational leaders. I am so encouraged to hear that just about relationship and caring for people, because I think that that's just this foundation. Yeah. So is there anything that we missed or any parting thoughts, Randy, that you've got in kind of wrapping no, up? No,
2: thank you, EP. And thank you, Bolsey. And, and I would just say, you know, for the two of you and even for the listeners, you know, if I ask you who is your favorite teacher, you can name them immediately with the snap of the fingers. And if I ask you, well, tell me why it, In most cases, didn't have really anything to do with math or science or English or social studies, but it was more about how they made you feel or they believed in you or they brought the best out in you or they were there for you during a challenging time in your life. And so I I really appreciate what both of you guys said and and EP especially. around This is about relationships. It always has been and it's always going to be. And as long as educators continue to stay focused on their relationships with kids, you're just simply never going to go wrong right? And that's where we got to maintain our focus. So thank you guys for having me. This has really been a lot of fun and, and just truly an honor. Well,
1: thank you again for being on the show, Randy.
3: And thanks to all of you for joining us today on Outliers in Education. You can find this episode and more anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit us online at effectiveness.org. Until next time, this has been Outliers in
0: Education. like to find out how to gather the data you need to help drive positive change in your school or district, take a moment to visit CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, at effectiveness.org. Better data, better decisions, better schools. Effectiveness.org.